but I'm happy to be here. Uh, we're going to continue this morning and just dive in a little bit deeper to what Pastor David covered this morning. Um, I want to talk with you about the person and work of the Holy Spirit because I think it's so integral to what John is accomplishing in his gospel. And as we move, of course, into Acts and then, of course, Revelation, it's so important for us to have a firm foundation of who God is, essentially, and then, of course, the work of the Holy Spirit as well. So I want to unpack this morning in greater detail what Pastor David already began for us in an excellent message. Hopefully you were here at 9.30 to hear him uh, speak this morning. It's like Christmas, you know. You don't just uh, open a gift and let it sit there, right? You've got to do more with it. I remember getting video games as a kid. I was very excited about it. Anybody ever play Mario Kart in here? Yeah? Some Mario Kart fans? I remember playing it at my friend's house and seeing him, you know, play it. But then when I got Mario Kart, I had to play Mario Kart to get really good at it, right? So you've opened the present this morning of the person and work of the Holy Spirit. You may have seen some other people play with it, but I want to give you some time to really, really... Um, understand more fully who the Holy Spirit is, but also who God is in a more general way. Um, I don't take this lightly. And when we talk about the nature of God, the Trinity, we're going to spend a lot of time on the Trinity today. And um, if you heard Pastor David say that your life group teachers were going to teach you about the Trinity, that was actually the case in this place. But um, I don't pretend to be able to explain the fullness of the Trinity. It is beyond our comprehension, and by necessity so. I mean, He is God and we are not. Uh, but in so doing, I do want to ask the Lord to, and the Holy Spirit specifically to be with us today as we encounter His Word the truth about God, that he would open our eyes and that we would uh, be more full, uh, more fully informed about the nature of who he is and who we are called to be in light of that uh, this morning. So let's pray and ask the Holy Spirit to be with us. Father, we are so grateful that you have revealed yourself to us and enable us, God, to know you and know you more fully. And Father, as we encounter your revealed word this morning, the scriptures, I pray that your Holy Spirit would just open our hearts and our minds um, to the truth of your word, that you would shape us and mold us into the image of Jesus as we seek to glorify you, which is our desire in all things. And Father, as always, may you increase and I decrease, we pray in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. As we begin this morning, it's important for us to remember that God is essentially greater than our understanding. As evangelicals, we affirm what I call greatest possible being theology. It's an Anselmian idea that William Lane Craig has written extensively about. If you want more information about that, William Lane Craig is an excellent resource there. But basically it means that there's no greater being, no possible greater being that, be, that can be conceived of than God. He exists at and beyond the height of our mental capacities and embodies all of his attributes in perfect, infinite ways. And he has given us, through the work of the Holy Spirit and inspired revelation, enough knowledge about him to know him in a saving way through Christ and pursue him in relationship. That does not mean that we will ever truly know all the fullness that he is. For that fullness would be an infinite knowledge that would make our knowledge omniscience, something that is impossible for finite beings. I want to throw a quote up here for you from a guy named uh, Gerardus Vandaloo. And here's what he writes. He who says, I believe in God, says more than he can justify, more than he knows, more even than he senses or suspects, 
He says that God's reality is more real than his own life. That God is nearer than hands and feet. That he is the most sublime, but also the most common. That he is a God in heaven above and on earth below. The furthest away and the closest at hand. The unattainable one who was already nearby us before we were born. This is the kind of complexity that we deal with when we talk about the nature of God. God is a being of extremes too vast for our linear understanding. His comprehensiveness truly is overwhelming. And so as I talk about the Trinity today, I approach it with that kind of of fear and awe. And I certainly stand in uh, a line of a long line of people who have influenced me in my theological thinking. A couple of them I'll mention to you today if you have more um, questions about the Trinity than I can um, address today. This first guy is a guy named Wayne Grudem. If you don't have the systematic theology, I highly encourage you to get it. It's been the most influential theological work in my life. Um, It's just an incredible resource that covers the full gamut of all that we believe as evangelical Christians. Another great one is a guy that I'm spending a lot of time with, a guy named Danny Aiken. Daniel Aiken is the president of Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary, where I'm currently going to school. And uh, he wrote, uh, he edited a um, collection of theological essays, writings that became a systematic theology called A Theology for the Church. So they're going to influence a lot of what I say today, along with guys like Millard Erickson, who is a, a giant in evangelical uh, Christian theology, a guy named Bruce Ware, who's up at Southern Seminary, is extensively about the Trinity and the Holy Spirit. Um, so those guys um, are kind of influencing all that we will talk about today. So I wanted to give you that before we um, begin. So, God is greater, essentially, than our understanding, and yet, we are called to know Him. We are called to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, our soul, our minds, and our strength, according to Mark twelve thirty, God is knowable. In one sense, He is unknowable because His being is greater than our comprehension. At the same time, He is knowable in that He has revealed Himself to us in a way that allows us to have fellowship with Him. We can grow in our knowledge of him. He has helped us to do that, as we have said earlier, even today, with illumination, the illumination, illuminating work of the Holy Spirit, and the revealed word of God, both in Jesus and in the scriptures. As we approach this topic this morning, I just want to give you my end goal. I want you to know God. I want you to desire to know God in greater ways. I want you to feel the depths of the fullness of God's being, and I want you to swim in it. Uh, it's, it's one thing to know about God. It's another thing to know God. And I fear that many in our, our churches today are, are increasing in knowledge about God, but as we know from Scripture, that kind of knowledge puffs up. It leads to pride. It does not lead to the humility and brokenness that is required when you stand in the presence of an almighty God. There's a guy named A.W. Tozer who um, is just a profound thinker and, and, and pastor and writer. And Here's what he writes about the need to know God. Can you see that up there? Is it up? Here we go. In his work... The Pursuit of God. If you haven't read that, you should. He writes this. I want to deliberately, I want deliberately to encourage you or to encourage this mighty longing after God. And just think for a second 
about your relationship with the Lord? Is there a longing that you have for the Lord? When you sit down to read the scriptures, is it just an accumulation of knowledge or of information? Are you desiring to know God who has revealed himself in the word in greater ways? The lack of it has brought us to our present low estate. The stiff and wooden quality about our religious lives is a result of our lack of holy desire. Complacency is a deadly foe of all spiritual growth. Acute desire must be present or there will be no manifestation of Christ to his people. He waits to be wanted. Too bad that with many of us he waits so long, so very long in vain. And so this morning we're going to talk about some very deep, very big theological ideas. I do not want them to be ends of themselves. I want you to, as we talk about the complexity of God, and we're overwhelmed because our minds just can't grapple with it, that we also have in us a birthing, a a greater desire to know God because we see that he is infinite. And you can wake up every day and know something new about God. And you can worship him in greater ways because you can never know him exhaustively. I'm reading a book by one of my professors at Southeastern called, his name's Tony Morita, and he was um, writing about preaching. It's a book called Faithful Preaching, and he's writing about the Trinitarian nature of preaching and how the idea of the Trinity should influence even the way that we preach. And he's talking about um, how we as teachers, as preachers, should enable our people to see the glory of God. Because there's essentially something within us that needs to see the glory of God. And in a day where Many churches are more concerned with felt needs approach to preaching and meeting practical everyday needs. Sometimes we rob our people of showing them the the glory of God. And in so doing, we create moralists who do good things, but who are not responding to the fullness of who God is. And here's what he writes. And then he quotes from Piper in just a minute. Can you see that? All right, here we go. The quest to behold the greatness of God is the unconscious cry of every person. Unfortunately, those who preach do not take this basic truth seriously. In seeking to be relevant, it seems, many preachers actually have become irrelevant. It is a tragic misunderstanding to think that our knowledge of God is not practical. The most fundamental need of humanity is to know God and to know him with ever-increasing clarity and intensity. That's the way that we worship the Lord with our mind. And he quotes down here, John Piper. And Piper writes this, people are starving for the greatness of God. Think about that for a second. People are starving for the greatness of God. But most of them would not give this diagnosis of their troubled lives. The majesty of God is an unknown cure. There are far more popular prescriptions in the market. But the benefit of any other remedy is brief and shallow. Preaching, teaching that does not have the aroma of God's greatness may entertain for a season, but will not touch the hidden cry of the soul, show me thy glory. That's pretty weighty. I just want to encourage you this morning. We may not have the most practical applications of what we're about to walk through. The Trinity um, has some practical applications that we'll talk through, but don't wait for the practical application to to see how your soul can grow in the, the knowledge of God. Because inherently what we need is greater knowledge of God. And what I 
what I've seen in, in, in life and in ministry, I've been doing this ministry work for 13 years now, um, is that what people thirst and desire for the most is a greater longing and knowledge of God. And any time that in your life you find yourself struggling with a pervasive sin, the inherent misunderstanding is that that thing is greater than God. And if you grow in your knowledge of God, you will see that these things of our world will go strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. It's 100% absolutely true. So if you've got, thank you, if you um, if you are struggling with something in your life, if you are depressed, if you are, are missing um, uh, purpose in your life, don't read self-help books. Don't turn on uh, the own network or listen to Dr. Phil or listen, you want to grow. You want to root up these, these, these longings in your heart and your spirit, get to know the Lord in greater ways. And you'll be surprised what a greater knowledge of Him will do in your spirit to bring about joy and awe and peace. We are called to know Him. Do you long to know God more? Because the more you know Him, the more you can celebrate Him. Let me give you an example of how that, that principle is true. Um, I will be uh, celebrating my one-year anniversary in two weeks. I made it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> we made it. No, don't tell her I said that. She's working at the hospital today taking care of sick people. Um, anyway, uh, yeah. But it, it was Jordan's birthday on yesterday, Saturday. Um, and so she had to work yesterday as well. And it was her 26th birthday. And she was born on April 26th. So it was this golden birthday, apparently. I was born on the 4th, so I was four years old when I had mine, and so it wasn't a big deal for me. But apparently for people later in life, it's a big deal. And so uh, she uh, she wanted a big deal for her 26th birthday. Now, in my family, I'm an only child, but we I just don't really care about birthday gifts. I'd rather go do something with people. That's just my personality. But she likes little gifts throughout the week. It's her love language. I know it's great, whatever. So... Uh, so I had to learn my wife, right? If I did not learn my wife, the experience after her birthday would not have been a very good experience, right? Many of you men in here can testify. Uh, but over this past year, I've grown to learn what Jordan likes. I've grown to learn what uh, speaks to her. I've, I've learned to, how I can show love to her in greater ways, how I can celebrate her as my wife, um, and as a result, this past week, I was able to give her her favorite flowers that she likes. And I was able to give her those um, peanut butter eggs that you get for Easter. You know, the greasy peanut butter eggs, which are like a like perfect combination of everything. It's good. It's just chocolate and peanut butter. I mean, does it get better than that? Uh, I was able to, to get some of our friends together and take her out to eat at, her, at one of our favorite restaurants. And then also take her family out. And then just other kind of things that we were able to do throughout the week. Because I know her. And I know uh, even out through, as we grow in our, our marriage years from now, I'll grow to know her in greater ways and be able to celebrate her even more because of the, the fullness of which I know her, right? Now, have you ever tried to buy a gift for someone that you did not know, right? You get your friend whose kids are getting married or something and you've got to go find something. Well, typically what happens is when you don't know them, you try to give them something that you would enjoy or that you think they would enjoy because you enjoy it. 
right? And so our celebrating really becomes a celebrating of ourselves because we don't know them. And that's really what happens when we think about worshiping God without trying to know him. What we do is we celebrate the things about God that we can celebrate in ourselves. And any time that the things about God begin to contradict the things that we celebrate about ourselves, we get very offended because we haven't crossed that, that, that line yet of knowing him in greater and fuller ways. But the more that you get to know God and you grow in the depth of knowledge that you have for God, you learn how to celebrate him. And as a result, celebrating yourself takes a backseat because he is worth the celebrating. Our, our objective in life is not to glorify ourselves, but to glorify him. And in order to do that properly and effectively as true followers of Christ, we have to know him more. So that's the, the lens through which I approach this this morning is to cultivate in us a need, a desire to know him more. We are called to know him. So today we are seeking to learn more about the Holy Spirit, the third person in the Trinity, by understanding in greater ways the Trinity. And when I say the third person here, I don't mean in the sense that he is inferior to the, the Father and the Son, but when you see him listed out in Scripture, he's always third. But there are three persons functionally in the Trinity. In order to understand the Holy Spirit, we must affirm that he is God, a part of the Trinity. And the Trinity is an essential doctrine for the church. Timothy George, who is uh, the Dean of Beast and Divinity School at Sanford in Birmingham, writes this, the doctrine of the Trinity is the necessary theological framework for understanding the biblical account of Jesus as the true story of God. If what the Bible says about Jesus is anything other than that, we have no gospel. The Trinity is essential to the gospel message, which is the only message the church has to offer to the world. So basically, here's how we describe the Trinity. Again, this is Wayne Grudem, and here's how he, he fleshes out the Trinity, which you've heard Pastor David walk through this morning. Uh, basically, three major points. Number one, God is three persons. Number two, each person is fully God, and three, there's one God. And so I just want to walk through these briefly by giving you some scriptural um, evidence that these things are taught in the scripture, even though the word Trinity is not taught in the scripture. Number one, God is three persons. And we see this truth displayed explicitly in John's gospel. And since we've been working there for a little bit, let's just um, open our, our Bibles to the book of John. And we'll begin in John chapter one, of course. I'm sure you all remember this. So, I like three pins and I put them all over here. All right. Three persons, three distinct personages within God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And as you read throughout this first chapter of John, you see that the word is talking about God, the son. So from the beginning of John, we see a distinction between God, the father and God, the son, the word, the expression of God in the flesh. 
John 17, 24, if you want to turn to the passages that will be our focal point for today. This is the high priestly prayer. Jesus praying, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Now, Jesus is not going insane here. He's not praying to himself. He's praying to a distinct other person, God the Father. So in the book of John, you see a very sophisticated theology, uh, Trinitarian theology, and Here you see a distinction between God the Father and God the Son, but also between God the Son and God the Holy Spirit, which we've already walked through a little bit today in John 14 and John 16. So John 14, 26, Jesus says this, These things I have spoken to you while I am with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So, in this verse, we see a helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. Three distinct personages, all functioning as God. And of course, this is not a new idea. If you look back at Genesis chapter 1, right? We saw it this morning in Pastor David's sermon. There's a plurality mentioned even there. When he says, let us make man in our image. Plurality in the creation event. It's also reflected in the serific acclamation of the thrice holy character of God in Isaiah 6, 2, and 3, and then echoed in Revelation 4, 8, right? What do we proclaim? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. There's a a sense in which the the thrice proclamation there, holy, 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 indicates a a plurality in the being of God. Elohim, used in the Old Testament, is a plural form of God's name, which according to Thomas C. Oden in his book Living God, suggests some mysterious plurality in the intra-subjectivity of God. Also in Jesus' baptism, right? Jesus is being baptized. The Holy Spirit descends upon him like a dove and the Father speaks over him. This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. So throughout the scripture, we see a threeness, three persons in the Trinity, the Godhead. Now, as Pastor David said this morning, this is not modalism. We are not saying that God existed in three different ways at three different times in history. And so in the Old Testament, he was God the Father. And then in the the Gospels, he was God the Son. And then now he is God the Spirit. That's Unitarianism and it's uh, heresy. It is not what the Bible teaches. It's Trinitarian, not modalism. And you see this often in really poor examples of the Trinity, right? Uh, Wayne Grudem says there's no good analogy for the Trinity. Everything falls flat, Okay. There are things that can help us begin to understand, but we have to recognize their shortcomings. So sometimes you've heard God described like water, right? That he is, uh, in one sense, he's ice, and then he's also gas at some times, and then he's uh, liquid water, right? They're all water, but they exist in different ways. But they don't exist in that way at the same time. And so, functionally, you're saying that it's modalism, because they can't exist at the same time. Also, when you talk about me being a son, a pastor, a a father, or a husband, I'm not a father yet. Um, uh, 
all of those things fail to communicate the fullness of the Trinity. Like so, in that particular instance, it fails to do justice to the intra-Trinitarian communication and relationship of the Trinity. Because there's fullness and fellowship within the Trinity that I cannot have with myself as a husband, pastor, son. Does that make sense? So everything falls short in communicating the fullness of God. So be careful about those things and just rest in the fact that there is an element of this which is beyond our comprehension. God is three persons, and yet each person is fully God. Jesus was not created later and unable to achieve divine status, nor is the Holy Spirit a servant lesser than the other two. Each person is fully God, meaning that they share essentially what it means to be God. Now, we're not going to spend time defending the fact that God the Father is fully God, because generally it's very accepted and it's obvious throughout Scripture that God the Father is God. God the Son is fully God. We saw it in John chapter 1, but I want to draw your attention to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 1 is uh, an explicit and fantastic uh, Christology. Just the, the writer of Hebrews says, Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Harking back to Genesis chapter 1, right? He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. It's a pretty big statement. He upholds the universe by the word of his power and making purification for sins. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. And he continues over in uh, throughout uh, Hebrews chapter 1 there. So from, from John chapter 1, Hebrews 1, Titus 2, 13, 2 Peter 1, 1, Isaiah 9, 6, talks about the Lord coming. Jesus is the Lord coming. Uh, and then I, Romans 9, 5 and Isaiah 40, 30, which is reflected in Matthew 3, 3, all suggest that the, the Savior, the Messiah, the coming Lord is God. Jesus is fully God. And then thirdly, not only is God the Father fully God, God the Son fully God, God the Holy Spirit is fully God. Now, obviously, when you affirm the first two, the fact that God the Father is fully God, that also God the Son is fully God, anytime you have a Trinitarian expression in Scripture, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So, for instance, go into all nations, baptizing them in the name of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. There are other ones, 1 Corinthians 12, 4 to 6, 2 Corinthians 13, 14, Ephesians 4, 4 to 6, 1 Peter 1, 2, Jude 20 and 21. Whenever you see those things, and you've already established that God the Father and God the Son are deity, that necessarily elevates the presence of the Holy Spirit there, right? He's given equivalency with two beings we've already established as deity. So it leads us to an implicit conclusion of the Holy Spirit's equivalency. And then, of course, it's uh, shown explicitly in other passages of Scripture as well, in Acts chapter 5. Very familiar story, very frightening story. Story about Ananias and Sapphira. You, of course, remember um, 
the church is being formed and everybody's being very generous and no one has any need because everybody's being very generous. And uh, back in four, uh, there's uh, a guy who, who donates some money and he's praised for it. Ananias and Sapphira want that kind of recognition for themselves. And so they, they sell a piece of land. They don't give the fullness of what they got, the, prop, uh, the, the price they got for the property to the church. And so they say that they're giving the fullness but then they also keep back some of it for themselves, okay? And what we'll see here in verses 3 and 4 is the Holy Spirit's uh, response. Well, Beginning in verse 3, I'm going to have to read it from this other page. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? So notice, who is he lying to when he says that I gave everything, even though I did not, you're lying to the Holy Spirit to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land. While it remained unsold, did it not remain uh, your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to whom? God. So in Acts chapter 5, among other places, 1 Corinthians 3.16, Psalm 139.7-8, 1 Corinthians 2.10-11, we see the Holy Spirit being affirmed as fully God, being given attributes of the fullness of God. So each person is fully God, and yet there is only one God. We are not polytheists, as Pastor David said this morning. We are not tritheists. We affirm one God, because that is what distinguishes us. It's what distinguishes the people of God in the Old Testament. Deuteronomy 6.4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is what? One. Which is a very big statement for them back in the day. Because they were surrounded by nations that were polytheistic. The distinguishing mark of this people was that they believed in one supreme God above other gods. Exodus 15.11, 1 Kings 8.60, Isaiah 45.5-6, 1 Timothy 2.5, Romans 3.30, 1 Corinthians 8.6, James 2.19, all of that affirms the fact that there is one God. And I just want to deal for a second with this illustration that Pastor David showed you this morning. If I can get all on the same page. It kind of just helps us get our mind around this relationship that uh, there are three personages in the Trinity who all have separate consciousnesses. So the Father thinks of himself as an I, and thinks of the person of the Holy Spirit and the person of the God, God the Son, as a you. And then separately, they all think of the same thing. Does that make sense? So they are aware of each other. At the same time, they are all essentially God. So the Son is not the Father, but he is in the Father because both of them are God. And the Father is not the Holy Spirit, but he is in the Holy Spirit because both of them are God. And the Holy Spirit is not the Son nor the Father, but he is in both of those because he is God. Okay? Everybody got it? But it's encouraging to know that there's enough there to begin to understand while also understanding that we're never going to fully understand. And that God has revealed enough for us to have faith in him, to believe in him, and then to also worship him as a result. So now I want to move to why the Trinity matters. Why does the Trinity matter? And there are three things that I want to kind of walk through just very briefly with the remainder of time that we have. Number one, the Trinity is essential to the gospel. Secondly, the Trinity is essential to our salvation. And thirdly, the Trinity is essential to our ministry. Okay, and this is not 
an exhaustive list of why the Trinity is important, but it's enough to, to remind us of why having a firmly Trinitarian theology matters for us, all right? The Trinity is essential to the gospel. By the gospel, I mean the redemptive narrative of Scripture fully realized in the person and work of Jesus. And this is displayed for us in Ephesians chapter 1. Here's what Paul writes. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father, God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoptions as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, the praise of his glorious grace, with which he lavished or has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have the redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished all upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. So Paul is echoing this very Trinitarian theology, beginning with God the Father, God the Son. God the Father has established a plan for the redemption of all things in eternity past, and he has sought to send the God the Son to bring that plan into accomplishment. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. This eternal redemptive plan that God established in eternity past is unfolding through the working of all three members of the Trinity. God the Father planned our redemption. Christ enables that plan through his sacrifice, and the Holy Spirit brings it to completion. On the cross, God the Son takes on the wrath of God the Father through the empowering work of God the Spirit. And the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is now the same spirit that calls us from death into life. Romans 8, 11. And so what we see here, specifically the work of the Holy Spirit, seems to bring to completion the work that has been planned by God the Father and begun by God the Son, according to Wayne Grudem. So each one of them is essential to the gospel. The gospel, the redemptive plan of God for us and for the world, does not work without each person of the Trinity working. God created, and we offended him. Jesus lived, he died for us, restoring us. The Holy Spirit came to reveal God to us through Jesus, convict us of sin, and regenerate us by grace through faith, sealing us for eternity. Not only is the Trinity essential to the overarching redemptive plan, it's also essential to our individual salvation. 
God the Father designed our salvation, having to satisfy his wrath, justice, righteousness in the face of sin. God the, God the Father established in eternity past the way for our salvation, which we saw in Ephesians chapter 1. God the Son, of course, is the means of our salvation. And he is who we proclaim to draw men unto himself. We cannot get to the Father but through the Son. John fourteen six. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by what? Me. He is our substitute in the process of atonement, and he is our risen lamb. God, the Spirit works in us to unveil our eyes to the truth of our sin and our need for a Savior. And we saw this a little bit today in John uh, chapter 16. The work of the Spirit that John specifically outlines for us through the words of Jesus in verses 4 to 15. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I'm going to him who sent me. And none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has now filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For I did, if I did not go away, the helper would not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, judgment, Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judge. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority. But whatever he speaks, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father, is mine, all that the Father has is mine, therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. You. So what we see here in this passage of Scripture is that the Holy Spirit convicts of sin, righteousness, and judgment. He guides us into truth, meaning that he allows us to progressively understand the fullness of uh, what Jesus has done for us. He illuminates Scripture, and he inspires the writing of Scripture, which you heard Pastor David talk about this morning. And this is a very key component. The Holy Spirit seeks to glorify the Son. Because only through Christ do we have salvation. It's a very important point for us to remember. We are a Christ-centered people. We are, we, we are very high on Christology. We believe that the whole of Scripture is about Jesus, which the Holy Spirit inspired. Our preaching and our teaching is Christ-centered, and our lives are modeled after Christ. This is not to the neglect of the other members of the Trinity, for they both glory in our faithfulness to Jesus because our lives begin to glorify God the Father through the empowerment of God the Spirit. God the Father is glorified in seeing his plan of redemption fully realized through God the Son, who is the word revelation of God. God the Spirit is glorified in faithfulness to his work and bringing creation to restoration. The Father administered our salvation for the purpose of holiness. The Son accomplished our salvation, making sanctification possible. And the Spirit applied our salvation by working in our hearts to make us see the Son and be changed into His likeness. Anytime that we begin to focus on the Holy Spirit unto Himself, we have missed the point of the Holy Spirit who came to glorify Jesus. Now, 
We should not ignore the Holy Spirit. We need his help. It's okay to pray to the Holy Spirit, even as I did when I began this talk today, to say, help me understand and communicate your word. Help us understand and communicate your word. But all of it is to understand more fully who Jesus is and what the Christ event means for our lives and the restoration and redemption of all things. Essential to our salvation. And finally, the Trinity is essential to our ministry. We work for the glory of God through the example of Christ and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Everything that we should that we do in life should be God-centered, Christ-exalting, and Spirit-empowered. We live for the glory of God. All three persons. We are living to bring about a redemptive plan, establish an eternity past by God the Father. We exist because the triune God brought us into existence. We exist in new life because the triune God enabled the gospel and our salvation. We do all things to lift up Christ, to draw all men unto him, because we believe that only through Christ can people be saved. And finally, we do all of this in the empowerment of the Spirit for it to be effective. He is our helper. He is our comforter. And there's a reason the apostles waited. I can't wait to get to the book of Acts. The beginning of Acts, Jesus is leaving and he says, Listen, you, do, you guys don't go anywhere until the Holy Spirit of God comes upon you. Why? Because, as Pastor David said this morning, he knew what was going to happen. If this kingdom building was left in the hands of the apostles without the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, it was going to be ineffective. They're scaredy cats. And if you, if you just look at the life of Peter, and you see at the end of the Gospels, him worrying about his life and denying Jesus three times, and then a couple of chapters into Acts, all of a sudden, he's standing up and proclaiming one of the greatest messages in Scripture. How does scaredy cat Peter become incredible, awe-inspiring Peter? Well, it's the presence of the Holy Spirit in his life. And if you and I ever try to do anything outside of the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, guess what? We're going to be into the Gospels, not beginning of Acts. We need the Holy Spirit to accomplish what God has called us to accomplish. I think about this every time I teach preach. Anytime you want to exhibit your spiritual gift, it should be under the idea that you're doing it to worship the triune God. I want to preach and teach for the glory of God the Father. And I want to do that by proclaiming his work through Jesus Christ. And I want to do it while relying upon the Holy Spirit to open my eyes to the truth of his word, to communicate what he wants me to communicate, and praying all the while that you and your spirit will receive it through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit Receive the conviction and the joy that you need to go out and look more like Jesus as a result. And however that translates to your work, if you get up here and you're doing announcements, if you're leading a ladies' retreat or a, a go, to go shopping, that can be glorifying to God. It can, right? All of that is to, right. That fellowship that you're building is glorifying to God. Why? Because God created you for fellowship because he in himself is a fellowshipping God. He is a triune God that exists and fellowships with each other, right? You're only able to have that kind of intimate fellowship with each other because of the work of Christ who breaks down the barriers of sin and dividing wall of hostility, Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2, and then empowers you to get along and, and resolve conflict and enjoy each other because of the Holy Spirit that works within you. Right? Everything we do is because of the triune God. 
I didn't plan that example, but hey, it works. So as we leave today, how can you respond to this greater knowledge of God? Number one, seek to know God. For the more that we know him, the more that we love him. My friends, you cannot live in a divided mind. If you want something other than God, you will never know God in his fullness because you cannot worship him. You cannot give your life to him and be divided. You can't want something the world says is okay to want while also wanting God. He is supreme. You've got to want him more. Even when I'm in sacrificing things that you think that you want or you think that you need. Don't redefine him. Don't redefine what he has said. Know him. And you will redefine all of this other stuff in light of who he is, and in light of knowing him in greater ways. Know him more. Wear the weight of the awesomeness of God. The Bible does not make an argument for the existence of God. It simply states that he is. And it shows the consequence of the fact that he exists and that we exist in light of him. Our objective is not to convince people of God's existence, but rather to simply proclaim him. Now, it's good for us to show that it's not illogical for us to believe in God. But at the same time, you can't convince people into heaven. You can simply proclaim the work of Christ and the Holy Spirit does that work for you. And then finally, seek to live for the glory of the triune God. Honor each of them in how you live. Live to glorify God. Live in the idea and the knowledge that he left you here to continue the redemptive purpose that he set forth in Christ. Cultivate your life in the example of a spirit-filled life given to us by Jesus set forth for us in the book of John. And then recognize that each day you must seek the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to accomplish what he has called you to accomplish because without him, you're Your offering is futile. Seek each day to live for the glory of the triune God. Now, I recognize that I veered away a little bit from Mark's lesson today. Okay? And I apologize for that. But what I want you to understand is John is unfolding this beautiful Trinitarian theology throughout his gospel. And what we will see happen in Acts, and what we see happen in Revelation, you cannot fully grasp if you don't at least get an idea of the way that our God exists. And further, when you begin to contemplate the fullness of who God is and pursue him and, and dive into him, when you pursue him in this way, the depths are just unsearchable. And it creates a fire in us of obedience and passion that will fuel the redemptive cause that the church was created for in the first place. Let me pray for you guys. Father, thank you so much for today. I pray that you would take these inordinately, inordinately large truths, God, and just um, help us to, to, to accept them in faith, but also grow in our knowledge of you, God. Um, help us to pursue you daily. God, not out, not out of um, just some simple thought of obedience, but God, a a fire, a passion that you birth in us as we know more about you. Um, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would just uh, seal these truths in our hearts, that you would help us to know more about you, that you would uh, convict us of our sin continually, God, that you would show us how you would have us to serve, and that it may all be for the glory of Jesus, um, the glory of God the Father through Jesus Christ. Um, We're just in awe of who you are and that you, this 
seemingly unknowable God have made yourself known to us and allowed us to, to serve you and walk alongside you and worship you. Uh, may we be better people for having encountered your word today, we pray in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. Thank you.